day. And we thank you that you're with us, you're for us, you have redeemed us, and we belong to you. And I pray right now that you would unfold your truth and you would unfold biblical principles and wisdom so that we are able to walk in the freedom in Christ that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is part two of toxic relationships, and we are going to look at Ephesians 4. And I'm just going to be reading this and kind of talking a little about it, and then we're going to move back into talking about toxic relationships, okay? Um, this is Paul, and he's writing to the Ephesians, and he says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So here we are. And Paul is basically opening up and he's saying, hey, because Jesus is the one who called you, I would really like you to make unity a priority. I really, I really want that because what do we know about God? He hates disunity. The devil loves disunity. So if we belong to Jesus, the, um, the, the number one thing he's saying is, Show love for one another, and remember, there's just one body. There's not like 10 million bodies of Christ. There's just one body of Christ. So often, when we struggle with being toxic, because we learned last week that all of us have something kind of toxic in us, so often when we're toxic, the focus is not on how we can honor Jesus and preserve unity, but the focus is on how other people are treating us. And I've talked about that before. The Bible never tells me to evaluate how other people are treating me. And when you find yourself doing that, it should always be a warning sign that you're probably needing to abide in the Lord and press into the Lord because your eyes are off him and they're on yourself. So the secret to all healthy relationships is to have your eyes on yourself and to have humility. Have your eyes on Jesus and have humility. Yeah, everyone's looking at me like, what? And to have humility. Humility isn't putting yourself down. Humility is looking at how big God is and seeing yourself in relation to God. But it's also seeing others as better than yourself. And it tells us that several places in the New Testament. And it's basically meaning that their needs are more important than ours. And that feels so upside down. But everything about the kingdom of God is upside down. Nothing feels natural if you've come out of the world. Nothing feels natural to our flesh. But when we're walking in the spirit, it feels completely natural. But when we're walking in our flesh, it feels completely natural. So, to be healthy is to know Jesus knows I have relational needs. He is going to meet them, but it is not my decision how he meets them. When we get that in our spirit, we will begin to be grateful for the people God brings in our life. And because there are times when you grow up not you older women, but you young women, when you grow up and marry the perfect man, you will wake up one day and you will say, oh, my husband is having an off day. He's not perfect today. And you will need to not be looking to him to meet your needs. Do you understand that? Because there are no perfect men. In fact, there's a lot of struggling men. And you might marry one. And what are you going to do? Ditch him? 
<laughs> okay. So then he goes on and he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what I'm going to read is about talking about what Jesus did when he ascended into heaven and came down and he gave gifts. So it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, back then, you have to realize that um, when they went to war and they came back with their spoils, they would bring all the prisoners of war as captives, and there would be like this parade, and they would have all their captives behind them, shackled and looking pitiful, and banners flying and ribbons waving. And that's kind of a picture that he's defeated Satan, and he's, you know, he's flaunting it. He's bringing glory to himself and saying, it's done. Those enemies of your soul that make you toxic, that make you self-centered, that make you allow people to treat you in unhealthy ways, they have been defeated on the cross. And they are no longer they have been soundly defeated. So anyway, then it goes on and he says, he who descended is himself who also ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the structure which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now that sounds confusing. This is what it means. Jesus gave gift men to the church. These are not the spiritual gifts. These are people. They're pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and apostles. And they... They are here to equip you, not to meet your needs, not to always be loving, not to visit you in the hospital. The fivefold ministry men, they are here to equip you so that you can serve one another, so that we can serve one another. And why is that so important? Because that's the pathway as we minister to one another. So every saint has a work of service, or more than one work. And as God comes and he fills all of us with his spirit, and he sends these gift men, and they equip us, and they kind of give us nudges. Have you ever gotten a nudge from Pastor Mike? into a new area of service. Hallelujah. Anyone? Yeah. So that's his job. That's his job. And so then as we serve, we attain unity. So the body of Christ is a family. It's a body. It's all those things. But I want you to think in terms of a family. If you want to grow out of being toxic, you have to be plugged in. You can't be out wandering off by yourself. You're plugged in. You're equipped. That's why if I miss a sermon, I'm going out of town next week, and you know what I'll do when I get home? I'll listen to the sermon. Why? Because I haven't heard enough sermons from my husband? Because Mike is going to hear from God and give a word to this body that God wants him to give. And you will be surprised. Sometimes God has specific words for a body. Sometimes he has specific words for the whole body. And you'll be amazed sometimes when you get together with other believers and, wow, all the pastors were preaching the same thing. But if we're here, that's why we put this. You know why we put the sermons up on the website? So that when you work in the nursery or Sunday school, you can hear them. Or you can ask someone to share it with you. So you come with an expectation. When we come here, God is going to speak to me. 
when we're together, God is going to speak through Amanda and Madeline and May and Marla to me. And I'm going to leave refreshed in my spirit and built up and able to serve. So notice none of this is about being happy. None of this is about our career. None of this is about making money. None of this is having the most romantic marriage in the world. None of this is about having a best friend. It's all about Jesus and serving him, building one another up, and winning the lost. And the, the reason this is so important to get in your spirit is if you do not seek the kingdom first, you will probably struggle with having healthy relationships. If you put your job before the kingdom, you will have trouble with healthy relationships. If you put your marriage before the Lord, you will have trouble with healthy relationships. Now, obviously, our family is very big up on that priority list under Jesus, and we want to minister to them. But do we minister to our family as brothers and sisters in Christ that we're helping to come to maturity? Or do we see them as people set in place to serve us and do our bidding and fulfill certain roles? In some ways, that's true. I think a child should have a right to expect a parent to take care of them. But if we begin to live like that, we miss out on the adventure of walking with Jesus. Because Jesus will never let your needs be unmet if you seek him first. If you don't put him first, if you're not being equipped and serving others, especially in your own home, if you are not doing that, you will always struggle with relationships. So it's the key. It's that key that opens the door. Remember I told you about the woman who was in the cell and she was so hungry and lonely and, you know, unhappy, but the whole time she had the key in her pocket. And the key in our pocket is to put Jesus first and his kingdom. His kingdom is advancing across the earth. And yes, sin is abounding in our culture right now. Sometimes it just makes me sick. But while sin abounds, what abounds that much more? What? Grace. Grace abounds that much more. So if you want to experience what God has for you, if you want to, I don't even want to say if you want to be happy because you have to take those kind of goals and shove them aside. And say, the purpose of my life is now to glorify Jesus. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a dream unless it's Jesus' dream. I want to serve him with all that I am. And I've surrendered everything. I have no agenda left. That is when God begins to change us and change the people around us. As we are sitting back, waiting for people to love on us, waiting for people to meet our needs, waiting for people to apologize first, we will be we will be toxic and we will find ourselves forming relationships that are not so if right now anything is preeminent over Jesus the Bible would call that an idol and God said you should have no idols before me I remember one time I was first married and I thought my husband was so wonderful, and he was late one day, and I was, he was very, very late. I, was, I remember specifically, I was taking my laundry to the laundry room, 
and Kate was in the stroller. I was pushing her and pulling my wagon, and I just was overcome with fear. What if anything happened to Mike? What if he's been in a car accident and he's died? And the Lord said to me so clearly, how dare you worry about your future as if your husband is the most important thing. I will always take care of you. And it changed my life because it's so easy to find people who love us and make them into an idol. And, you know, we talked yesterday where it's not loving to let people sin. It's very easy if someone's an idol in your life to let them sin. That's a truth because you're so worried, are they going to love me, that you can't let them sin. And I had no plans to say that. So (laughs) moving on, (laughs) whoever needed to hear that. So. Speaking the truth in love, we, are, we will all grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit and held together by every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Have you ever noticed sometimes that your mind can be a cesspool? How many of you ever struggle? If you think... If someone read my mind right now, I would be so humiliated. Anyone? So that is probably how do we how do we get over all those things? We get over that when people come and they speak truth to us in love. When people love us and they truth us. They live the truth and we see it. And we say, oh, wow, that's that's Jesus. I'm going to imitate them as they imitate Christ. But um, so I just want to remind you of that because no one has it all together in this room, especially not me. I need people to love me, encourage me, build me up. And you do. And if that becomes our agenda to let the Holy Spirit fill us, what did Jesus do on earth? Do you remember? Anyone? Like his basic agenda. I mean, what he did day to day. Okay. It says that Jesus went from town to town preaching repentance and the kingdom. When people brought people, when people brought the lame to him or the sick to him, he healed them. Um, he taught, and he taught, and he taught, and he traveled, and he loved people, and he extended so much love to people that they understood who God was, and he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what if our new agenda was that we were so filled with Jesus that we could say, hey, if you've seen me, You've seen Jesus. What if that was our new agenda? What would be different in your life? Anything? Anything? Your relationships would feel different and look different because they would be focused on building the other person up, not in their job not in their creative abilities, although that would follow. They would be building them up in the Lord and strengthening them in the Lord. And sometimes for women whose husbands are unbelieving, it would be without a word. It would mean that when you confront someone, you would be saying, I love you so much that I cannot allow you to turn me off. It just wasn't loving. And I know that's hard. See, putting Jesus first changes everything. It changes everything. It means we don't check our call time off the list, but it means we desperately, 
to read the word. And they're desperate to pray. And they can't wait to be with him. Because when you experience the joy of him filling you to overflowing and loving people through you, nothing else will satisfy you. So, anyway, he says, So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. But you did not learn Christ that way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that is, in reference to your former manner of life, you laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God that has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. So what does all that have to do with relationships? We might be born again. And boy, we do not take a drink of alcohol. We might be born again, and boy, our language has sure cleaned up. But why is it that we still have toxic behavior in relationships? Because those patterns, you know, Satan will lie to you. You are really being taken advantage of right now. You, you really need to raise your voice because if you raise your voice really loud, you will make it clear that you are not going to take that. But what does the Bible say? A kind-hearted woman gains respect. So, again, it's the upside-down kingdom. In our relationships, we have to put off the old self and put on Christ. And if you wonder, what does that look like? Just read the Gospels and say, how does Jesus interact with people that are rude and mean? What does he do? How does Jesus interact with people that are immature, that lie to him? seen Jesus in those conversations um oh my husband well you know he's not here right because the man you're living with isn't even your husband now I'm sure Jesus is able to say things with so much love because he had the spirit without measure but I really did um you can read the rest of the chapter because it is just so good I want to get into some real practicals so what does it look like to not allow people to sin against you, but to be the servant, the slave of all? It says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and be the slave, the bondservant of all. And does that mean you're going to go and clean, come and clean my toilet? Or maybe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but... What it does mean is that the attitude in your heart is, I'm just a servant. I'm just here. I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord's. I'm a servant to these people. And if I can be a blessing to you, that is my heart. If I can be a blessing to my children, no matter what it costs me, no matter how inconvenient it is, then I will do that. If I can, no matter how hard it is, um, serve my husband, I will. If I can, serve my parents, I will. Okay, so I want to, we talked about why people are toxic. We talked about toxic behavior. So how do we get from toxic to healthy relationships. And I'm not going to go into any detail. I'm just going to remind you of these things from last week. And then we're going to go into new things. To get out of a toxic relationship, you first recognize your own toxicity. 
and you recognize your contribution to the toxic relationship. Sometimes it's just allowing people to behave badly. You know, um, people can cuss as much as they want around me, but when they take the next word in vain, I mean, I don't like cussing, but I don't say anything. But if they take the Lord's name in vain, I always say something. Because that's very offensive to me. And um, anyway, like I said, I was just going to read the list. <laughs> so repent for your own toxicity and contribution. Receive forgiveness. And remember, we talked last week. Sometimes we just forget to, we repent, but we don't receive forgiveness. And we really, really, really miss out. Apologize to the person for hurting them and bad behavior. Most of the time, there's sometimes there are people that are just really close to evil, pure evil. But most of the time, if there's a bad relationship, it takes two to tango, if you know what I mean. That both two people are at fault. Does that make sense? Can you own it? Give me an amen. Okay. Make a plan with the Lord for boundaries. This is after you've apologized. You go off by yourself. Make a plan with the Lord for boundaries, new patterns, and healthy communication. Healthy boundaries never contradict scripture. So we don't speak negatively to people. We're not harsh. We're not, um, yeah, we're not selfish. In another conversation or note, let the person know that you want there to be changes in the relationship and outline for them what you want those changes to be. Um, and then pray together with the person if possible and give them time to think about it. Don't ask for a response. Just say, hey, here's, here's what I'm feeling. Here's how I want things to be. Can you just take this to the Lord? Um, okay, so, all right, godly con confrontation. Um, you do not have the right to go to someone and say, you hurt my feelings. Okay? Can I let that sink in? You don't have a biblical right to go to someone and say, you hurt my feelings. Cannot do that. Let me explain. You are responsible for your feelings. No one else is responsible for your feelings. Don't let those words come out of your mouth. You need to take ownership of your feelings. And you need to figure out why your feelings were hurt with the Lord. Sometimes our feelings are hurt because the person did not meet our expectations. If a person didn't sin, the Bible really doesn't give us room to confront them. Now, if a person sinned, then the reason that you go to that person is to restore the relationship and restore the person to the Lord. So I go to Mary and I say, hey, Mary, I love you so much. I don't know if you realized that you, I'm trying to think of what Nate could do to sin. And the mind's going blank. It's it. <laughs> I'm like, I can't think of anything. Oh, okay. When you use foul language in my kitchen, I don't know if you realize that the Bible says love, 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 love. And then I'm going to restore her to the Lord. I'm not going to attack her. I'm not going to say, how dare you use foul language in my house? Why would I do that? Am I going to win her if I say that? The purpose of ever talking to someone is to win them to Jesus. Never to yourself. To Jesus. Unity will happen after the person is reconciled. If you think that every time someone disappoints you, you can confront them, then we would all be running around trying to meet everyone's expectations. And none of us would have our eyes on Jesus. 
all of us would feel miserable because if I meet Laura and Mary's expectations, then I'm not going to meet Leanne's expectations or Molly's. So, ladies, don't tell your husband that he hurt your feelings. Tell him this. I was uncomfortable with the way that you helped me. And here's why I was uncomfortable. Because what the Lord says about talking to someone is to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up that it may benefit those who listen. And to be honest with you, and I'm sure you meant to build me up, Audie just seemed the best. But you did not build me up. I felt torn down. I felt condemned. And so help me understand what you're trying to communicate with me without talking to me this way. And here's, let me give you some examples of how I would like for you to talk to me. Do you see what I'm saying here? And the reason I say that is because Marla does not have to meet my relational expectations. However, Marla has a higher standard than my relational expectations. She does have to meet Jesus's. <laughs> and I feel really content. I would rather have Marla be accountable to Jesus for how she treats me than have Marla be accountable to me. And in the process of saying you hurt my feelings, you are assuming, number one, that you're faultless, which is almost always 100% of the time, 99.99999, not true. If someone has hurt your feelings, you have probably done something to offend them. And so when you, when you do that, you immediately put them on the defensive because then if I go to Grace and I say, Gracie, you really hurt my feelings, then Grace is going to think, but Miss Meredith, you hurt my feelings because you called me out when you were teaching. And I was so embarrassed because everyone was looking at me. <laughs> so if, if Grace feels hurt, that I just did that. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. You can take me aside and say, Miss Meredith, I did feel really embarrassed when you pointed me out. Is there a way that next time you could not use me as an example? Because I'm, I, I'm an introvert, which isn't true. Grace is not an introvert. But I'm an introvert, and I'm really shy, and I feel uncomfortable. And then you're not telling me, uh, now, if you say that to me, and I agree to do it, and then I won't do it, then I'm sinning. And then you need to talk to me. Am I making sense? Sometimes we say, I'm so hurt with Rose. And what we really mean is, Rose has been super busy. She hasn't had enough time to spend with me, and I'm feeling really lonely and wanting her attention, and I feel rejected. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing. Why don't I love Rose enough to find out why she hasn't been around? Why don't I want to know the 20 things that are going on in Rose's life so I can pray for her? Do I love Rose more than I love the way she makes me feel when I'm with her? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when you genuinely love people, it's not about what they do for you. It's about knowing how they are. What is the condition of their heart? How you can be a blessing to them. So, am I hitting home with anyone? Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay, so, 
Does God want us to be kind to one another? Yes. Does God want us to have close relationships? Yes. What is the best way to achieve them? Look to Jesus and let his love flow through us. Aisha is one of the most loving people that I know. And Aisha comes home with strays. You know, some people come home with stray cats. Some people come home with stray dogs. When Aisha lived with me, she would come home with strays. They might live a block away. They might be from the from UCF. But she would come in with these people. And sometimes she came in with people. <laughs> yeah. She would come in with people that other people looked past. And Rose was the same way. Other people would look past these people, but Aisha and Rose would find them, and she would love them, and she would bring them into, you know, a place where they could be loved. Now, with those people, some of them, well, I won't go into all of that, but if we love people, the proverb says, if you want friends, show yourself friendly. So... Okay, cure for toxic relationship is the perfect exchange. Our toxic behavior, our toxic relationship for Jesus' love for people. Jesus genuinely loved people. Do you guys know my friend Roxanne? Roxanne, she did the walk on water and she helped out. Anyway, um, and... Molly knows her really well. She is so loving, isn't she? She loves the Lord, and she loves people. And her motivation is just to build people up. I never see her, like, you know. Anyway, um, we are no longer toxic in Christ. Do you feel while you're sitting here that you're toxic? It's because you're believing lies of the enemy. You can walk in toxic behavior, but in your heart, you are no longer toxic because Jesus took every sin to the cross. So you can put on the love of God. We don't walk anymore as the world walks, but we put on the love of God. Um, so when Jesus loves through us, and this is how we can tell. If we're looking at our relationships and we're wondering, is Jesus loving through us? We will love. We will forgive. We will trust. And we will be trustworthy. We will give generously and expect nothing in return. We will hardly even notice when people do us wrong. We will greet people. We will encourage them. All of these I have scriptures too. We'll go the extra mile. We'll show hospitality. We'll listen more than talk. James 119, you should be slow to speak and quick, slow to speak and slow to get angry. You should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And we will urge people to follow after God. So if you're wondering, like, is the Lord loving through me? Um, then that is how you know. And with that in mind, I want to walk through how do you get out of toxic relationships? Because I don't believe it's loving to let people be toxic. To us. Okay, so the first one. Okay. Um, so this is from a mom. My daughter is very negative. It seems nothing I do or sacrifice is enough. Um, she refuses to let me touch her physically. I know I've hurt her in the past, and I still do hurt her. I want victory to relate to her in a godly way. And I want her to be healed from past hurts from me. So at this point, we're talking about a mom who has hurt her daughter, and but loves her daughter. She hasn't hurt her purposely, which is usually when we hurt people we love, it's not purposely. And um, so what, do you, what does she do? What does she do to rebuild that relationship? So this is the first question that I would ask. Have you 
wailed and grieved and mourned and truly repented for the hurt you caused your daughter? That would be my first question. Have you experienced godly sorrow? Because sometimes freedom comes after that. We talked about that when we were talking about grief, that part of grief is is a precursor to freedom from sin. So have you grieved and mourned? Have you um, really gone before the Lord? And, and sometimes we just need to say, Lord, give me godly sorrow and repentance. We, we just need to do that. And here, here's something to keep in mind as moms. We have sacrificed our children's whole lives for them. And we feel like we don't, you know, we almost feel like, well, how can they, I mean, I've made these little mistakes, but look at all these things right here that I've done. I mean, that's how I feel. And yet, the only way to bring healing to our children, because if you're a mom in this room, you will hurt your children. If you're going to be a mom in the future, you will hurt your children, not because you want to, but because we fall for the tricks of the devil and we end up doing things that hurt our children. So um, what I would do is make sure that I've really, truly repented. And then I would go to my daughter again and I would say, listen, I love you and I love being a mom. But the truth is I have really blown it. And I wouldn't focus on any of the good things I've done or any of the bad things my daughter has done. I would just focus on what you've done to hurt her. And then I would apologize. And then I would say, I would like to rebuild our relationship with you. Would you be willing to rebuild our relationship again? Can you pray with me? And that is the beginning. And then here is the truth. I look at my years of raising children, and there's been so many other things going on in life. And I remember being in certain seasons of my life thinking, oh, my goodness, my children are being so neglected. I don't know what to do. I'm pulled here. I'm pulled there, especially when my parents were so sick. And you can justify your behavior. You can. But the bottom line is when you have a child that's hurt, and all of my children have been hurt by me, all of them. And I've had to apologize to all of them for things that have wounded them. And I did not set out to be a mother who wounded her children. I set out to be a mother who would be practically perfect like Mary Poppins. <laughs> and that was, you know, a very disappointing thing for me. However, a mother's love is the biggest security blanket any person ever has in this earth for some reason. And they've actually done studies on that. And that's why it's so hard when you don't have a good relationship with your mom. So it would be wisdom to do anything you need to do to crawl through shards of glass to be reconciled with your daughter. Because in the end... Our children start appreciating us about the age of 35, 40. That's what I did with my mom. All of a sudden, I realized, wow, I had a great mom. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm saying? But while our children are at an age where they're moving into their life, we have got to heal that hurt for them. We have to. And motherhood is not about our children loving us back. It's about us loving them in unconditionally always. And that is why, you know, I try to be a mother 
two women who don't have a mother to welcome because we need our moms. We just need our moms, right? So, all right, the next one. There has been a lot of stress in my house. So much stress that I feel like leaving. There's yelling and arguing, and it makes me feel horrible inside. Um, I'm not going to read the rest, but so what do you do in that situation? Well, you do know that in a home when there's a lot of yelling and anger, there, there comes, it opens the door up to the demonic. And there is a spirit of anger that comes into a home. And um, I've, you can do spiritual warfare against the spirit of anger, especially the head of the house. Um, but if you're in a living situation and that's where you are, that's where God has you, but it's really uncomfortable. I grew up in a really angry house. Um, it has to start with, with your own heart because um, usually everybody is dysfunctional. In a house where there's a lot of yelling, there's not usually, there's not usually anyone who's healthy. Everybody is unhealthy and they push each other's buttons. And I've noticed this, that if the unhealthiest person gets healthy, then there's a new target. It's kind of, you know, like there's sometimes there's like a black sheep in a family and that black sheep gets blamed for everything. And if the black sheep leaves or if the black sheep suddenly crosses some kind of milestone and isn't a black sheep anymore, then someone else takes that place. That's very common in dysfunctional homes. It's very common. So if you see that in your own home, you have to recognize that and say, Lord, I don't want this in my home. I want to get rid of it. But for this person in this home environment, <clears throat> um, she needs to wait until her parents are calm. And when her parents are calm and not angry and it's a good situation, she needs to talk to them and be able to say, when the yelling is happening, this is how I feel. What can I do to change the environment in my house? Is there something that I'm doing to make you so angry? And then really take that to heart because God will really, if you humble yourself like that and strive to be transformed, people will notice it and it will inspire other people to do the same thing. And then you say, I would like to have some kind of code where when I become, when the yelling is overwhelming, I can leave. I can, you know, have a boundary where I can say, okay, I love you. I know you need to talk to me about this, but can I please at this point leave? And then I would say, if all of that doesn't work, then I would go to spiritual authority at that point and let someone older step in and help a family through that. The truth is, many, many Christian families have a lot of yelling and screaming in their homes. I know it shouldn't be like that, but it is. And um, people can say, oh, I'm German. We just all have bad tempers. Oh, I'm Irish. You know the Irish. They just can't control their tempers. Oh, I'm Hispanic. Well, the truth is, every single culture has bad tempers. There's no culture with, you know, there's none. It's not a cultural thing. It's a character thing. So, um, but if you have a lot of yelling in your home, you can go through your home and pray against a spirit of anger. And I would recommend that. Um, okay. I want help with a relationship, but the person won't take advice or um, counsel with me from people that they told me they look up to. And so I'm the one who has to put any issues 
in our relationship. I'm the one who has to deal with any issues in our relationship. And I'm the only one who ever needs to change. And that's probably, um, and that could be, that could be in a marriage. It can be a child with parents. Um, it could be a husband or a wife. And that is, that is, that's really hard because if, my mom says, okay, this is your pastor, and he's a great guy. Just listen to him and learn from him. And then we have problems, and I say, mom, can I go talk to him? And she says, no, because the, actually you should. No one should ever – let me just tell you something. No one should ever tell you you can't talk to your parents about something, and no one should ever tell you you can't talk to your pastor about something. If someone is telling you you can't talk to your pastor about something, that is wrong. And you, you that that's the whole reason we have pastors. They're men who give an account for your soul. So don't don't let people tell you that. Um anyway. So, what do you do in that situation? Well, first of all, you have to discern does the person think that there's a problem in the relationship. Like you can ask the person, the first thing I would do is ask the person, do you think there's a problem in our relationship? And then the person would probably say, according to this, no, I think you have some problems that you need to work on. And so here's what you say. Well, I understand that, but Meredith Curtis said, <laughs> you can use my name, that it takes two to tango. So, <laughs> and her husband, Pastor Mike, agrees. This is being recorded. So you can say, if there's, if there's a problem in the relationship, then I think both of us need help. Because if the problem is all with me, the way that you're communicating to me isn't helping me. I need outside help. And um, that actually is what I did once because in our, when Mike and I were first married, he was really critical. And he'll tell you this. He preaches on it and stuff. And so I was talking to my pastor's wife, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I just can never, like, live up to my husband's expectations. And she's, I said, I just want to know how to. So we all got together, and we they totally addressed him. <laughs> and I was like sitting there going, oh, wow, this is awesome. So, <laughs> so anyway, oh, maybe we could delete. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but so the point being that you may have all those things as a fault in your life that the other person is addressing, but they're probably magnified in that person's mind. So ask the Lord, okay, I am not going to receive condemnation, so I don't believe I'm this, but is there a kernel of truth in that? I was, I was talking to someone, one of my children last, last night, and I said, well, here's the deal. Whenever someone addresses me, no matter how critical or negative they are, I always write it down, I always pray about it for at least a month because – even when people outright accuse me of untrue things, there is always a kernel of truth. And sometimes I really don't like it. You know, I was having a conversation with another child the other day, and she was saying, you know, you know, Mom, you do look really good. And I was like, oh. And I, did, I was very, like, defensive in the conversation. But the later I was like, oh, my goodness, she's right. I really don't want to be that way. So allow the Lord to show you a kernel of truth. But then you're going to have to talk to this person and say this. I love you so much, and I want to have a great relationship with you. I need to tell you that the way that you're communicating with me is probably not the way you want me to communicate with you. And see, that's giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're not accusing them. You're just saying, 
you know, because it's not helping me. I feel condemned, and then I feel like, I don't know about you, when I feel condemned, I'm not going anywhere. It does not motivate me. It does not challenge me. It does not help me. But if I feel like someone's on my team and they say, you know, I really believe you can do this. I believe this is, I believe God is bigger than this and I want to help you and I want to be a part of you. And that's the biblical way. And I would just, you know, tell the person, when you see an issue in my life, this is the way I need to hear it. Because I want your goal to see me closer to Jesus. I, I don't think it's okay. The Bible never tells us we can vent our anger. We, we, if you think it's okay to vent your anger, and I am a ranter, especially about politics, um, and I'm working on that. God is working on that. But if you think it's okay to vent, the Bible says a fool gives full vent to their anger. So, you know, that person, you'd want to tell that person, venting isn't helping you. You know, if you're venting at me just to tell me, like, it's not helping you. It's making you angrier at me, and it's definitely, it's definitely not helping me because I feel like I can't change. Is that helpful? Okay. Yeah, this writing is so kind of fantastic. Okay. All right. So this person makes me feel annoying, stupid, unsafe, worthless, and unloved. So that, now, here's, I'm going to say this right away. That person may not feel any of those things about you. Whoever wrote this, they may feel none of those things about you. They may not be very good at loving. They may not be very good at um, communicating. They may be going through a bunch of stuff that makes them really cold and distant when you're around them. So that's the number one. Don't assume that the person feels that way. Okay? Don't assume it. And I would not go to them and say, I feel like you think I'm annoying, unsafe, blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say you always hurt my feelings. Don't, don't say that. Go to them and say this. Have I done anything to offend you? Because I feel a distance between us, and I don't want there to be a distance because I really care about you. So have I done anything to offend you? I have done that just to be godly in it because I'm a pastor. I'm thinking, yeah, this is the right way to do it. This is what I teach. And lo and behold, have found out I've offended someone. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. So, um, and if someone comes and asks you that, you can respond. But again, when you're talking to people and tell them how they hurt you, build them up. You know, the only time you can ever do that is if someone invites you, but um, or should. I mean, people do it all the time, but um, should. So, once that person, if the person says to you, "No, you haven't done anything to offend me," and then say, "Well," I would like to have a better friendship with you. And I wonder how you feel and just kind of build them out from that point on. And, and then, you know, because the truth is, like, um, there are people, you, one of the things that stood out to me was when you said the word safe, there are people who don't feel safe with anyone. You know, and I remember offering for someone to have their kids spend the night in my house, thinking, of course, they're going to say yes. And they were like, mm, I don't think so. And the devil immediately said, she doesn't trust you. And then the Lord said, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. Because we can, we can assume things. And I'm just, this is how I live my life. I assume everyone likes me. 
I assume everyone is happy with me, and if they're not, they are going to let me know. And, <laughs> you know, some people have really let me know. <laughs> I hate you <laughs> on my Facebook. <laughs> and then I know, okay, we're not okay. <laughs> But you just have to come to a point sometime when it just, and this is hard when you're young. It, it, it's like some, I love menopause, you guys. I love menopause. I am so much less emotional. Oh, my goodness. I love menopause. Anyway, so sometimes you just come to a point in your life. You have to come to a point where, you know what? It doesn't matter if people like me or don't like me. I'm treating them the same. I'm not treating anyone differently. Love is going to flow through me to everyone. Now, entrusting your heart is a different thing. 